they can help us remember that it's an important deal. And so I am thrilled um, to, on our actual anniversary Sunday, to have one of my dearest friends, Dr. Reverend Elise Barrymore, um, with us. She is the founding pastor of the Emmaus Community in the South Suburbs. Are you guys in Chicago? You just got a new building. Is it still Chicago Heights? Oh, you're Olympia Fields now. So I can't wait to go see their new building. Um, way bigger space that you bought in the middle of COVID, right? And you're still like sweating how to like, yeah. Um, uh, so we've done a lot of corporate River City family trips over to the church and we'll do more in the years. A little fun fact, you know how each week during prayer and praise we do the birthday song? You know, that's like one of you guys think that's one of our signature things? That's actually not our signature thing. That is Revelisa's signature thing. Um, and if you really want to see some, like, if we really wanted to press the, press the envelope culturally, when I would go to the Amazed Community when they do the birthday song, um, whoever's birthday it is comes up and dances. That's just an expectation. If it's your birthday and you're the birthday song, you come up and dance all the way through it. Now, that would push River City, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, just for fun, when it's not my birthday, I want to do that to, to everybody else. And some of you do real good with that. Some of you not as good, then that'd be in that category. So that's actually, I love, I love everything, how they do their church. I always tell her that she, I go to her church if I didn't go here. That's, that's how much I love their church. She's always been one of the most esteemed preachers here. It has left, uh, there have been different things, including, gosh, remember after your father died, you preaching here and talking about walking through the valley of the shadow of death and suffering and still being with Jesus. She did a sermon here. One, I'm just doing these off the cuff, but ones that became part of a vocabulary. Um, there's the family you're born into and the family you choose. Woo, that one shaped us in a big way. So there have been these key sermons she has shared with us that have been really formative. So it is a delight to have her here um, on our 20th anniversary. So will you give a super-duper warm, affectionate welcome to Dr. Reverend Elise Barrymore? <laughs> Amen. I was teasing Pastor Daniel um, because I come from a tradition where we make a really big deal about anniversaries. Some would even say we're kind of extreme in our celebrations. And so I was joking around, like, what's the color of the day? You know, it's like a special occasion. You should have like a theme color. And he couldn't come up with a good answer. So I wore them all so that I could fit in whatever his theme was today. So it looked like he chose blue. So you all thank me for allowing me to be my walking rainbow self. Amen. I feel good about it. I am so grateful to God for God's goodness, God's uh, presence in our lives. And I thank God for knitting our hearts together for Pastor Daniel and his family. And uh, just for being here part of River City, I have watched from afar. And we're trying to catch up to River City because we're 17 years old. And so uh, we heard the voice of God in that same season about starting churches and communities of faith. And we both said yes to God. And um, I tell my friends, Pastor Daniel wouldn't say this because he's a better pastor than I, but people ask me, what's my theme scripture as a pastor? And I said, my theme scripture comes from um, uh, the prophet, prophet Jeremiah chapter 20, Lord, you have deceived me and I have been deceived. <laughs> Pray for me. God tricked me. I had no idea what I was signing up for. And 17 years later, I still show up asking God, really me? Are you sure? So praise God, your pastor is a better pastor than I, and uh, he probably has a much more spiritual theme verse. I'd like to draw your attention today to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. They updated it at Bible Gateway, so I'm going to go with the N-R-S-V-U-E, lots of letters. But whatever version you got, or if you know it, just go with it. It's kind of the same. 
I'll appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is complete. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for this celebration. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness and how you've established yourself as one who is trustworthy. I pray, Lord God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in thy sight. I pray, Lord God, that the word will go forth with simplicity, clarity, and power. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign, O God, that you indeed would edit so that it would hit the hearts of the people. I'm not here for fashion or fame or entertainment, O God, or to be entertaining. I'm simply here, Lord God, believing that there is a word for the people of God in this house and that you entrust me in to bring it forth. I pray, Lord God, that you will be glorified in everything and in all things at all times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, to know me is to know that I love, love, love a good movie, a good Netflix binge. Um, I, I just love storylines. I love that kind of stuff. I don't get to do it often, but when I get a chance, I'm like all in, right? So I love the classics. Maybe some of you have loved some of the same ones. I just fell in love with this movie called Cheval. Yeah, y'all seen this one? It's about the Black Mozart. I had no idea. Who knew, right? Uh, the Woman King, because I'm a warrior. Star Wars or Rocky, any version, any time. I'll even include Creed if you press me on it, right? Uh, Shawshank Redemption, y'all. Let me tell y'all, Coco, Up, E.T., my face. The Barbie movie, the jury's still out, but the pink was cool, right? Bridgerton, I've watched that series four times. Pray for me, I need deliverance. Um, it was a little savvy and some other words that begin with S. And um, then there was Queen Charlotte and then my all-time newest fave, This Is Us. When that one went off TV, I was crying real tears. So because I love movies and these kinds of things, I get caught up in it. So then I saw Sterling uh, K. Brown. He was Randall, the African-American guy in his blended family, This Is Us. Um, he had white brothers and sisters. He was adopted. I loved it. This Is Us. So I watched that, right? So he was in this movie called Honk If You Love Jesus. Honk for Jesus, save your soul, right? So because I grew up Pentecostal, anything with Jesus, I'm like pro-Jesus, right? I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then it had Sterling K. Brown, he easy on the eye. So I thought this is going to be one of my favorite movies, right? And then it had this woman, uh, Regina Hall in it, and they're playing these pastor people. I'm like, yes, I'm all in. Did anybody see Honk for Jesus, save your soul? Raise your hand. You can pray for me as I pray for you, right? So, so, so if you read it, it's the story of this proud first lady of a church. She's in this mega church, right? Um, it's called the Wondering Path Church, and they kind of go through some trials and tribulations, right? And so they're trying to get their church back together. They done lost all the members. It's like five of them, right? It's always the five faithful, right? So they got five left, and so they're trying to get people to come to church. And because they can't think of nothing good, they stand on the side of the road with this big Jesus guy, like made out of pepper mache with locks, right? He's kind of scary, right? Right? And then she has on a white face, like the bald bill act, and a church lady hat. None of this goes together, you all. And she's standing on the side of the road with a sound, honk for Jesus, save your soul. Honk for Jesus. Oh, it's a completely ridiculous movie, right? It didn't occur to me to read before I saw the movie that it was a satire. So I thought it was for real. I thought it was going to be this lovely story about people in the community coming to Jesus, right, and saving the community. It's a mockumentary, y'all. I ain't know that. 
So I'm there going, I want my $20 back. I want my $20 back, right? And that's how I really felt. Because it, it, it sort of caricatures the church about, it's all about performance and about uh, pageantry, playing the people instead of pleasing God. And this little clergy couple, right, they're defaulting to like gimmickry just to kind of get people close to God or at least to the church. And so I was just like, this lady on the side of the road, I can't figure this out. So, of course, besides, I was just absolutely clueless about the movie, y'all. Um, I need to tell y'all, I was absolutely horrified and disappointed when I saw it because the movie was too personal to my life. I grew up in a local congregation in a small church on the east side of Detroit, Michigan, right? And all of my experiences weren't perfect, but they were life-giving, meaningful experience in churches, right? I've given my energy, my life, and my money uh, to church, right? So when I saw this movie, Mocking Church, it offended me. I felt my defense system going up, and I wanted my money back, right? Um, uh, it offended me because I'm like a pastor. I've been in this thing 20-some years, like Pastor Daniel, like, I done did the thing. I mean, when I gave Jesus my heart and I started being a pastor, y'all pray for me. I didn't know I was signing up for voluntary downward mobility. Are y'all with me? I had no idea. Lord, you have deceived me and I have been deceived. And so when I see churches uh, being mocked on TV and in movies, right? I say, that's not true. Because the truth of the matter is, the pastors that I know, the vast majority of us, not all of us, some of us kind of shady, but most of us, right? We really take the calling kind of seriously. We like are praying and fasting and holding people in our heart. Like we are carrying the burdens of hundreds of people every other week. Like I read this statistic and I said it with my elders, but y'all are a better church than maybe I know. And I said, do y'all know there was a study given about the uh, five hardest jobs in the world? Y'all want to hear the top three? The president of any country or the leader of any country, the CEO of a trauma hospital, and a local church pastor. Can you believe it? So like we out here trying to really do the thing and, and uh, many pastors are bivocational and trying to do the best they can do, right? And so, and so in this lingering pandemic, many are working twice as hard, right? So when I see a movie kind of mocking the thing that I do and the thing I've committed my life to, I get offended. In fact, there's this pastor's uh, resignation letter that's floating around social media, if y'all on Facebook and those kind of things, about how he's talking about how 10 years and he said, I can't do this no more, y'all, I'm, I'm out. So when I saw this crazy little mockumentary, I was all in my feelings because it shamed pastors and pastoring's hard work. And I was all in my feelings because it, it shamed the local church. Like we all out here being shysters, right? But here's the truth of the matter. And it was sort of a, sort of a nod or a critique of megachurch, and I have no shade or shame against megachurch, but I found there's something very intimate about smaller congregations when you get to know and to be known, right? But I, there's something special how God does God works in little pockets and in small groups, right? But the truth of the matter is most churches are not what you see on TV, right? In one study in 2020, it says 7 in 10 churches have 100 or fewer people in weekly worship. And 70% only have 250. So these big old things, those are the anomaly. This is what God is. This is like the standard right here, right? And, and, and so I get angry when people mock the beautiful things, the small beginnings, and the little pockets where God's at work. Right? So I'm, I was mad. I was embarrassed. I was defensive. And I was sad. Because I know, like, souls do need saving. But that's not my job. That's God's, right? I'm just saying. So, so I was mad, you know, I had righteous indignation, hallelujah. <laughs> and, 
And then y'all, I went to this thing where the two ladies who wrote the movie, they were 30 year one, 30 year old twin ladies, black women, and they had made this movie. So then I tried to be a little nicer because they were, you know, ladies and they were black. I was trying to go with them. Um, and so they understood themselves as prophets of this generation, right? And, and, and they said they made this movie not as an outsider, but as insiders who grew up in the church and they wanted to call the church to accountability. So then I had to, you know, step back a little bit. They said, and I began to understand that they exposed a reality in churchdom that cannot be denied. Do y'all know, not River City, I'm talking about the church that I know, that church communities can be excessive and extreme and unhealthy, and church life can be complicated and confusing and in need of correction. I am discovering that clergy leaders are human beings with frailties and faults and failings and private struggles, and church members can be complicit in the perpetuation of pageantry. Church people like that show. They like the show, y'all. Not y'all. I'm talking about the other churches that I got to go to, right? Uh, It is true that the church has not developed helpful language or safe spaces to talk honestly about sexual identity so that people have to sneak and hide and hurt other people. I know that some pastors' spouses never get their own needs met and are treated as pawns or pieces of adornment to the ministry. I know that church people will say some hurtful stuff using church language. I know that church people will confuse grace with accountability. And I know that the dream of Jesus called the kingdom or the family of God, la familia, this uh, sort of imagery of radical hospitality and life-affirming community and diversity and shared responsibility and indivisible liberation and showed enough freedom and equality and generosity and transformation and deep joy is not what most people experience at church. So I had to take those two ladies kind of seriously. I had to repent myself. Because in fact, I've come to agree with a Lord Alfred Loisy who said in 1902, and I quote, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God and what arrived was the church. Y'all, sometimes the church falls short of God's ideal, God's vision, God's intention. I mean, it's no secret that church can be messed up, y'all. We have sacralized hierarchy and patriarchy, individualism. We have sanctioned slavery. We have sided with the oppressors and wedded the warlords. We have theologically justified the abuse of women and children. We have terrorized people with the holy text. We have demonized the mentally ill. We have commercialized what has been freely given. We have exploited and excluded and excommunicated. We have required assimilation. We have supported the oppression of brown people and undocumented people. We have robbed nations of their natural resources. We have voted with politicians who are not aligned with the family of God. The church can be messed up. The church can make mistakes. The church can be messy. And it's messy because we are in it. Let the church say amen. Church is messy because it's filled with people who are bitter and who are broken, who are hurting, who have unresolved issues, who have idiosyncrasies. The church is messy because it got people who are in process, folks who are in recovery, folks who are fractured, women who need therapy, men who need medication, ignorant intercessors, harsh holy people, leaders who are learning and teachers who are trying, and shysters and hooligans and innocents and arrogance. We can be petty and selfish and self-absorbed. The church can be myopic in her thinking and miserly in her giving and miss. Uh, misogynistic in their thinking, but I come to tell you on your 20th anniversary, I still believe in the local church. Even with all that going on, I still believe that it's God's plan.
plan and God's vision to establish the family of God through the local church. Now you got to hear me. I'm calling our attention not to what the church is. I'm calling our attention to what the church can become. What the church can be again. What God had in mind. God had in mind to transform people, transforming the community. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, sisters and brothers, on the mercy of God. Present your whole self as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And that's your reasonable act of worship, right? It says, don't be conformed to the pressures of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind mind so that you would know what the will of God is, the good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the complete. The Bible says perfect, but it doesn't mean without error. It means complete. See, I'm writing my dissertation. Y'all pray for me. I should be writing my dissertation. I'm on page number zero, but nonetheless, prophetically, I am writing my dissertation. And I'm trying to look at the intersections of process theology and womanist theology and Pentecostal black church traditions. And my goal is to discern the rhetorical tools for preaching that encourage the creation of multicultural communities that are authentic and deeply Christian and absolutely relevant. That's what I'm trying to think about. I have a suspicion that God's kingdom comes and God's will an acceptable and complete thing is really about multi-ethnic, multicultural churches that are able to glean and pick up the best of living traditions and a process theology that really honors womanist critical thinking. That's a lot to say. I, I, I really believe God's thing is more complex than we realize. That's what I really think. And, and so as I'm studying, I keep going back to one of my favorite theologians and authors, Phyllis Hickle, who says this, and she quotes an Anglican bishop named Mark Dyer, who said about every half millennium, about every 500 years, and I quote, the empowered structures of institutionalized church or Christianity, whatever they may be at that time, become an intolerable carapace, uh, that's a carpus, or, you know, junk, that must be shattered in order that renewal and new growth might occur, end quote. My paraphrase continues to be, the church needs to have a garage sale every 500 years, at least. <laughs> it's historical, it's biblical, it's essential for our survival. We have to be transformed and transform communities. Beloved, our faith was never meant to be stagnant, you all. Even Jesus came and said, you thought this, but now it was that. He was correcting understanding, right? It was a theological corrective saying that what you thought previously in your mind needs to be transformed from that narrow, erroneous, self-serving way you engage in the world. Jesus was telling people that you got to be changed, and it began with the renewing of your mind. You got to think differently about the same things. Are you all still with me, right? Beloved, there are strategic moments in time and in history at the collision of deep tragedy when there's a drastic change in society, there's a shift in industry and theology that cannot actually meet the needs of the people, so the church has to change its mind. Now, I do want to say, you got to do it. Now, I'm not saying that, unless y'all think I'm a heretic, right, uh, that everything is up for grabs, right? Because some stuff is just foundational and it's true. Like, I'm not going to, like, give up on Jesus. Like, that's pretty, really important to the faith. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that one, 
Like we ought to do some of the sacraments of the church. You have communion every now and again. You can choose wine or water or grape juice. Pick one. I don't care. Cracker or bread. You know, y'all can negotiate that. Those are kind of important. Baptism, that's important, right? Growing in community. But some of this other stuff, y'all, we added on stuff that God never thought should be central. We got to think differently about being community. Because when the identity no longer fits, you got to change it, right? So I just want to declare today on your 20th anniversary, I want to invite you to participate in God's garage sale. Y'all do know it's been 500 years since we've done it the last time, the church globally, right? That's why we all so messed up right now in church and people we are not recovering so well in this lingering pandemic, right? It's no shame, no shame. We all trying to figure out why we go to church in the first place, shoot. Because that, that home virtual thing was kind of working. I'm a pastor. I'm going to tell you it was working for me too. I was doing the Zoom, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Had my T-shirt on and my flip-flops, right? Then I was making pancakes. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all watching? Hallelujah. It was lovely. Now they're trying to want me to come every single week. I say, in a row? So we all got changed during the pandemic. I'm telling you, some of us are trying to bounce back. I'm talking about myself, not you all. So it forced us to re-examine frequency, and it forced us to re-examine our intention. It did, right? And, and are we okay if you're in the midst of that, and you're trying to find your way back? It's okay. You are in good company. You are part of God's garage here. We're trying to figure out what it means to be the church in a postmodern time, right? That's what we all trying to do, right? Y'all remember in 15th, I know y'all know this, but let me rehearse it, because I went to school for this, right? Let me rehearse it. Y'all know it's been 500 years in 1517. Y'all remember that? Birth of modernism. There's a reformation when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the wall. He was challenging the church, saying, you can't really buy faith, y'all. This indulgent thing. So we did a regeneration there, and that's where the Protestant church, where some of us are part of. Then go back 500 years, and 1054 was the Great Schism, and that was the division of the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. Y'all still with me? The issue was the procession of the Holy Spirit. Go back 500 more years. 589, that was the medieval period. That's when Gregory the Great, the Pope, said, act in such a way that your humility may not be weakness. And then you go back to ground zero, or maybe 33, depends. That's when the birth of Jesus, right? You get what I'm saying? So there has been waves in the church. So if anybody tells you that the church got to remain the same, they are out of alignment with the rising kingdom of God in the earth because God is always shifting and transforming and shaking and inviting people to be a part of the garage sale. And so it has been said that the only constant in life is change, y'all. In fact, I love my grandmama church because they sing the hymns of the faith, all the verses. And they got this song talking about hold to God's unchanging hand. Anybody know what that is? It's an old song of the faith. I love it. It's like hold to his hands, God's unchanging hands. You got to hold to his hands. God's unchanging hand. Build your hope on things eternal, right? Because God's hand is the only hand unchanged. They got the verse says, time is filled with swift transition. I learned that growing up. So I'm glad that you're holding on to God's hand. Whether you've been here 20 years or 17 years or one year, my new friends, right? We are trying to hold on to God's unchanging hand and figure out the other stuff we ought to let go of. But change is constant, y'all. We need to be converted. We need to expand our thinking. We need to mature in our activity. And we need to be transformed so we can transform our communities. Because the truth of the matter is stagnancy can be deadly. Y'all do know in nature that still water breeds infestation and bacteria. You got to keep on moving and keep on changing. You can't sit around and say, oh, we've been at this 20 years. We have figured it out. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And we're going to ride on the next 20 the same way. 
said, no, God is always moving and expanding and transforming. I've been in church long enough to know that believing what you always believe is not necessarily a sign of faithfulness. It could be just as easily defined as foolishness. Sometimes what seems like steadfastness is really stubbornness or just plain old stupidity. The goal of the Christian life has always been transformation, rebirth, renaissance. And can I tell y'all, Beyonce didn't come up with that even on her tour. Let the church say amen. This whole renaissance, rebirth thing, that was God's intention. I mean, the friends of Jesus in the early 20th century during the birth of Pentecostalism, they called people to a journey of salvation and sanctification and filling of the Spirit. They understood that a, a believer in the Catholic Church in the 11th century, St. Bonaventure, would say, we move from purgation to illumination to unification. And the followers of Jesus in the 1st and 2nd century said we need to be metamorphosed, that is, transformed. How many of us want to be transformed, changed? We don't want to be the same people that we used to be. That's what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. After spending 11 whole chapters talking about salvation and the lofty grace of God, Paul tells the readers that faith is about more than saying the right words. Following Jesus is about more than sitting around relishing in the extravagant generosity and the goodness of God, though we should do that, right? It's more than about assurance of our soul's salvation, but following Jesus is always a testimony to our adoption as children of God, which means la familia, another word for the kingdom of God. We often call the kingdom of God. Y'all, it's easy to overlook, but we're always supposed to be shaped into the image of Jesus. That's always the goal. And so Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 12. Now you might recall from Sunday school or Bible study, or you just know that the church at Rome was one of those congregations that weren't really Paul's original church people, right? He didn't go there and kind of get them started. He had heard about how good they were, and he was writing to them to encourage them, right? In Romans chapter 1 and 15, he says he heard about their faith and he prayed for them, right? So unlike his other books in the Bible where he's correcting the error, in Romans, he's just giving them a word of encouragement. He says, I see y'all. Keep at it. Go for it. Do the thing. Do the thing, right? And so I want to say if I was the Apostle Paul today and I was saying the River City Church, I would say, hey, do the thing. Keep doing the thing, right? Don't let life get to you. Don't let life smother out the hope in you. Don't let the constant assault on your community get the best of you refuse to be like those who want to be against liberation keep it going that's what he says to the Roman church hey I've heard about it I've heard it I've seen it keep it going the apostle acknowledges there are forces all around you principalities powers wickedness in high places violence all around you but keep on going so today I just want to encourage you River City to renew your mind, to be transformed so that you can transform your community. And because I grew up in a Pentecostal church, mostly black folks, you're supposed to have three points, that's what they told me, so I'm gonna try to come up with three of them that make sense right now, amen. Okay, I'm not coming up, y'all, I wrote them down, amen. <laughs> if we really want to envision who God is creating and calling you to be for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I want to encourage you to change your thinking around a couple things. I want you to release this Christian idea that you need to think all the right things. So often in churchdom, 
we think the sign of my maturity and transformation is that we have memorized and can quote the right things to say it the right way with the right words. If you grew up in the church I grew up in, we would say first giving honor to God, the pastor, saints, and friends, and all to the deacon and elders, right? Thank the Lord for being here for life, health, and strength, for being saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and that a mighty burning fire. I came up and showed up today to run on and see what the end is going to be. Hallelujah. Pray my strength in the Lord. See, I grew up. See, I knew that when I was eight. I still know it lots of years later because I was socialized that I need to think the right things and say the right words at the right cadence at the right time. And in the church I grew up in, there was a system. We said you ought to believe first, and then you ought to change your behavior, and then you get to belong. You weren't welcomed in until you looked like the people on the front row. But I'm challenging River City to continue to be on the forefront of not just thinking the right things, believe, behave, belong, but I want you to flip it. I want you to let people know they belong already because you're here and because you're human. You belong here first. You don't have to jump through hoops. You belong first. And then if you want to change your behavior and become a servant leader, we want you to know you have a space to work out your faith. And then we're going to tell you some things we happen to believe, but we believe you can work in the gifts that God has already given you if your gifts are works do the work if it's prophesied prophesy if it's sing sing if it's right grants right grants do the thing that you're uniquely created to do and then we go from there that's a change in mindset and I'm ashamed your pastor for 20 years he's been on the forefront of changing people's thinking that multi-ethnic and multicultural churches can survive and thrive. He's been on the cutting edge, pushing an agenda of being a light in the community around worship and reconciliation. Those are the pillars and economic neighborhood development. He's been pushing the agenda. And can I just say hallelujah, amen, for River City Church who's helping people to think differently. Some people think you gotta go to church first. You ain't gotta go to church first, but you might know 750 people that can give $1,000. That might be your ministry goal. Go out, and we'll do the other stuff later. We can figure out church. Are y'all still with me? You, you got to think new things. The second thing, you got to understand capacity. There's a saying out there saying that God only puts on us as much as we can bear. That's a story. I, I don't say lie because I grew up Pentecost. You can't say that in church. That's a story. Y'all, life is hard. And more than a few of us got on us more than we can bear. That's the truth. You don't have to say it to nobody. You can look for it so they don't want to know it's you. I'm talking about it's me. So, so many things can happen in your life, and you feel like, I, I got to do it all by myself because you've socialized to believe that God only puts on you so much you can bear. But the truth of the matter is, like Mother Teresa, and I love how she said it, I paraphrase, if God only puts on you as much as you can bear, God must trust me a whole lot because God knows something about me that I don't know about myself. I'm trying to change my thinking about needing community. Because in church, we think it's such a private religion, a private faith. It's about me being saved, right? And then forget about the world. I'm trying to challenge you and challenge the church to change that thinking and say, there is limits to your personal capacity. But if you lock arms with other people in community, anything can happen. You got to change that thinking. I told my church this story. Don't y'all laugh at me because this is true. And I do need prayer and deliverance. Because I grew up with this mentality, in churchdom, it's emphasized, you got to do it yourself. So we didn't talk about our struggles ever. We just were struggling by ourselves. We didn't ask for help. 
we just, you know, just came to church and just did. So I got that in my bones. So sometimes I don't make good decisions because that's still in me, right? I'm trying to be delivered from these things. What had happened was the other day, uh, I was walking outside with my daughter, and we were about to go out the front door. And I always have my phone. It's always attached to me. Y'all know that, right? But the devil was working this day. And I, I left the phone at home, and then a gush of wind came, y'all know, and closed my front door, and it was locked. And because I have a cell phone, y'all know I don't know anybody's telephone number. All right, so I couldn't even go next door to a neighbor or use my daughter's cell phone to figure out how to call. So we are locked outside our house. Listen, the door is locked. I don't have no cell phone. And I'm going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And because I'm that person a little bit type A and I bought into this, God only puts on something you can bear. I was like, well, God, you must have given this to teach me a lesson. That was a lie. That was just foolishness, right? So I'm outside trying to pray, Lord Jesus, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Lord, fix it. So then when I get in these situations, y'all get real spiritual Pentecostal. God, help me, Jesus. Come on, God. Come on, give me a revelation. I'm just getting crazy. I started walking around. And so then, because God takes care of widows, orphans, and fools. I'm not married. I got siblings, so I'm in the third category, correct? So anyway, I'm standing outside. What are we going to do? I look, and my neighbor has left their ladder outside. <laughs> they not home. <laughs> so I figured they wouldn't mind if I borrowed their ladder. I dragged the ladder down the street, put it on my back of my house on the second level. I got a balcony, a deck outside one of the rooms. I told my daughter right there, I said, you sit right here and balance it, babe. My child 11. Sit right here. And then mommy going to climb here. And then I'm going to hurl myself onto the porch because I saw the screen door was open. That sounded reasonable. I know you can laugh at me. It sounded reasonable at the time, right? Because God only puts on us so much as we can bear, right? So I'm about to climb up there. I'm praying in the spirit because I don't know how it's going to work. Then this man in a suit of clothes comes by on a bicycle. He said, ma'am, do you need help? And I said, I reckon I do. He said, well, let me help you, because this don't even look right, but okay. You do live here, right? Yes, I do. Um, he, he repositioned the ladder, y'all, got it up close. He said, now I want you to walk up right here. I'm going to stand here. Your daughter going to go here. When you get to the second level, I need you to hurl yourself over the balcony so you can get back in your house. That sounds crazy, but it worked. I climbed up to the top, hurled myself, walked in, broke into my own house to open the front door. And the man on the ground, who I'd never seen before, he says, praise Jesus. And he rode his bicycle out. What am I saying? First, I'm a fool. Y'all, we've already established that. <laughs> but most importantly, I'm trying to say we have to change our thinking about capacity and what we can do by ourselves. There's only so much God even invites us to do. Sometimes we're doing stuff by ourselves when God is trying to send people alongside us to help us. But we think in our mind, it's just about me, for me, and I got to do it. River City, you don't have to do it alone. God's sending and will send people to you to come alongside you and help you achieve your goals. We got to change our thinking about right things. We got to change our thinking about capacity. And then we got to change our thinking about church. We have to recognize that church really is God's plan A and plan B. The local church. We think it's extracurricular. We tend to think if we have time, the church the community of faith, the people who gather, not just the building, is God's outpost. It's the humans who make it up. It's the haven of help. And it really is God's kingdom on earth. How do people know who God is? By people who gather as the church. You are not an afterthought, River City. You are God's first plan. 
I want to change your thinking. You might not know who you are. And so on this 20th anniversary, and I'm coming to my clothes. They say that in church. It's not really true, but they say that in church. I'm coming to a close. I see you all like those little cartoon characters. I might watch a lot of TV. Called the Transformer. It's a great series of movies. And the Transformer, y'all know they come from out of space. Y'all know the storyline. They come and they're hiding in places in the earth, right? And at certain uh, moments, they get activated or alerted. Sometimes they little bleed, beat a bug and it wakes up in the junkyard. Other times they get a signal and they come back to life. And they're always trying to protect the community and keep a sacred space. And people don't know they Transformers until they get activated. And they come up and they change and they say, Transformers, they're more to us than meets the eye. Let me tell y'all why. Let me tell you, River City, uh, I, I like the Transformers because I believe there's power in the local church, and you are Transformers. You are more than meets the eye. People don't know this little gathering of people tucked up here in this church, that they are more than meets the eye, that if you could just get activated and sent out, you literally transform the world. So I just come to say that I believe in you, River City. You are Transformer. I believe in the local church. I believe the Word of God is true for your life. I believe that your pastor and the leadership team are leading you into the places of God. I believe in first Peter say that you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a holy nation you are God's own people that you more proclaim the excellency of the one who sent you I believe in you I believe that you are spiritual and significant and socially relevant I believe that you are practical and prophetic I believe that you are going to transform this community I believe that you're inspirational and informative I believe that you are catalyst for the changing of the God I believe that you are participating in the global garage so that God's kingdom might come and God's will might be done as it is in the heaven, so let it be done in the earth. I believe that you're called to be a good neighbor. I believe that you have cheers to 20 years. Let me say one last thing. This is my last thing, for real. Now, let me tell you, I was reading this sociologist, and he said that in any major spiritual shift, theological shift in the church, it takes 20 years to catch on. He says that at the turn of centuries, you think it's beginning to happen, like Y2K or 2000. He says, but right at the ship, it starts, and there's some people who are at the front of the ship. There's some people in the middle of the ship, and there's some people who are denying the ship. Y'all know trust people like that, right? He said, but it takes 20 years for it to catch on and for the ship to happen. I believe in the bottom of my soul that this community of faith, this local congregation, this church called River City was on the front end of the transformation. That 20 years ago, your pastor had an idea and the leadership team came around them of this different kind of church that was going to invest in the community for the community's sake. And y'all were ahead of the curve and it took some people a little time to catch the vision and other people couldn't catch the vision and other people left because they didn't like the vision. But let me tell you, this is year number 20 and in year number 20, it comes to pass. It comes to fruition. It comes to fulfillment. I come to declare cheers to 20 years. May it be so. May it come to pass. Cheers to 20 years. I celebrate you. I salute you because you made it this far by faith. And I still believe in the local church. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I celebrate you, Pastor Daniel. I celebrate this church. 20 years. Let me say this, and it doesn't matter if you were a long timer and you've been here 20 years or you came the week before last week. 
You are in a great movement with the things of God. You are the right people at the right moment doing the thing that God has in the earth. Now, I know some people won't understand what River City is doing or trying to do. It's because they're lagging behind the curve. It's no shade, no shame. They're going to catch up. But there's some people that are at the beginning who are thought leaders, who are pushing God's agenda at a space and a place that others still might have to catch up on. So I just want to commend you as a community to continue to transform yourself and transform your thinking so that you can continue to be thought leaders that transform a community so that people will walk by this neighborhood and they'll say, God's kingdom come. God's family be realized as it is in God's ideal. Let it be on Grand Avenue. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Reverend Elise, I could not think of a better River City birthday present than to have had you with us today. Thank you. What a what a powerful word, timely word. Thank you to the Emmaus community. Please send them our thank you for letting you not be there today and be with us. I know that's not easy, um, but what a gift. What a gift. May we, uh, let's stand together as we kind of close out, but really just transition to the park. Let us remember this call to be liberated from old thinking, to be invited into a new way of thinking, the mind of Christ, the Apostle Paul calls it, that sees the coming kingdom of God. It's not different than the foundations we know, but it, the wind comes in in a new way, in a different way. We're transformed. God wants us for us to be transformed such a beautiful word, that word metamorpho that you talked about. That's the Greek word for transformed. Same word for a butterfly. We're to be transformed so we can be transformed agents in the world, ushering in the kingdom. Let's hold that word in our hearts.